Hey, everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Today is the second in our series of discussions with Washington's 2020 congressional candidates. Beth Dolio is a progressive organizer and legislator, and she is running for Congress in Washington's 10th CD, a seat vacated by the retirement of Congressman Denny Heck. That is straight ahead, so stay with us. Beth Dolio is a state representative from Washington's 22nd Legislative District. She is also a community organizer with decades of experience, and she recently served as the campaign director at Climate Solutions, a Northwest-based clean energy economy nonprofit, and she is running for Congress in the 10th Congressional District. It is such a pleasure. Representative Dolio, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stefan. Nice to be here. Well, it's wonderful that you are here. And I'll just ask you before we begin how you and yours are doing right now. You know, we are very lucky. Um, our family is doing actually quite well. I have a 21 year old son who came home from college and has uh, just yesterday completed uh, his semester. And I have a 16 year old uh, sophomore at Olympia High School who has been struggling with the online learning, but I think. You know, his teachers have been reaching out and helping him through this process, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he will end his semester uh, well as uh, too. Um, you know, my husband is a physician. Uh, his workload, his panel has been uh, reduced because fewer people are actually coming in to see their family physician. Um, and, you know, we're just hunkered down. Um cooking a lot of meals and having a lot of meals together mm. um, and trying to keep ourselves um, active and, uh, you know, and getting outdoors as much as we can. So it's it's going fine in our home. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm kind of making it a point to do that. I, I think it's an important question right now. These are such unprecedented times. So you are the strong progressive in this race, and you have recently been endorsed by Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal and the entire U.S. Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is just fantastic. I'll just ask you uh, to talk a little bit about what that endorsement means to you. Well, I am absolutely honored, Um, very much looking forward to the possibility of working alongside progressive champions in the U.S. Congress. Um, to really deliver on progressive policies like Medicare for All, like actually putting policies in place to get a Green New Deal, particularly as we come out of this COVID and into our recovery and putting our nation back together. There's so many opportunities to really redefine how we take care of our most vulnerable, what we pay our our grocery store workers, our nurses, our care providers, our first responders, what kind of benefits they get. I mean, we absolutely have to move to making sure that people have paid sick days and paid family and medical leave. So I feel like this pandemic is awful and it is creating an economy that is going to be very hard to to climb out of and to figure out what's next. But if we commit to some of the values that we've seen be put in place with some of the care packages that have passed previously. Now, of course, not all of that has been good. We're seeing too many dollars go into the pockets of uh, wealthy corporations and wealthy CEOs. We don't, that we want to, we want to move away from, but some of the, the worker support that we've seen, I am excited to work 
with the Congressional Progressive Caucus to really move uh, those those good things that we've been able to do forward and make those permanent, not just something that happens when we are having a significant, serious crisis that we are having right now. Yeah, and that time will, with any luck, be in a future not too terribly far off. But uh, right now, we have yet another stimulus package that is aimed at dealing with the coronavirus crisis. On Wednesday, Speaker Pelosi unveiled a $3 trillion coronavirus relief package called the HEROES Act. It has, among other things, $5 billion for state and local governments. It has hazard pay for frontline workers. It has more direct payments, as well as some of Congressman Heck's emergency rent stabilization bill and a bunch more. I'll just ask you, what are your top line thoughts on the package as it's proposed? I think that it's got a, a lot of really great things in it, right? I mean, certainly uh, Representative Jayapal's Paycheck Guarantee Act is just really the direction that we need to go to make sure that we keep as many people employed as possible. I think it's much better than the Paycheck uh, Protection Plan, uh, the PPP, the former PPP, where you had to go and apply right. that clear, you know, and have the capital available and have that relationship with the bank. You know, this is just a much better approach to make sure that our small businesses are getting that money directly and are able to keep their employees employed. Um, I think the nutrition assistance that's in it, the student debt measures that are in it, the financial protection. I mean, all of these, all of these things are moving us in the right direction. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen, obviously, how this is going to shake out when it, you know, when it heads to the Senate. I know that Representative Jayapal feels really strongly that, you know, the House being first out is super important so that we can define the agenda. We can really define what's important, what Democrats think important, the people who are most concerned about making sure that our workers and our small businesses are cared for. And I think this I think this goes a long way to, to doing that. I would agree. And I I hear you hinting around the edges of something that I want to ask about, so I will. And that is about the politics of this. Senate Republicans have declared that this bill is going nowhere, that it is a quote-unquote liberal wish list. And yet there is so much in there, as you're saying, that is absolutely crucial. How would you balance the political challenges of making sure that as much of this bill gets through to the people and the workers and businesses who need it? Yeah, I don't think this is a liberal wish list. I think this is a workers' wish list. This is this is about making sure that workers can continue that that families all across this nation can continue to put food on on their families' table. That our small businesses who are about to go under are you know held up as much as possible, so that as we begin to come out and begin to open up, um, we are supporting them. And you know, I mean. Come on, liberal wish list? Oh my God. Okay, so um, so I mean, I, I think we need to, you know, frankly, I think we need to hold out. I think that um, we really need to make sure that some of these um, very key um, provisions in the bill uh, are upheld, and we need to really. I and I think we need the American public to speak up loudly and clearly that this isn't just a liberal wish list. This is a workers, this is an American family wish list. And I think people are seeing that. And there is a lot of evidence out there, um, polling evidence that shows that people are really understanding how valuable our government is, what the role of government is in people's lives. 
you know, we've, we are we are up against 40 years of a concerted effort to turn people away from government, to make government the enemy. And we can see in this crisis, government is not the enemy. Yes, we need to make changes. Yes, government does not always do the right thing. There's a lot of bureaucracy and things that we can change and make it better. But fundamentally, government is about making sure that our most vulnerable and that our families in this country can really thrive. And so I think we have we have a ground slow and a, a better understanding of how important government is. And I think that can help us carry the day and win some of these some of these very important points that we're going to be taking to the Senate soon. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about is is messaging here. And you mentioned getting a groundswell of people. And Indivisible is pushing for that very thing right now. They are asking members to push their representatives to vote no if this bill mm-hmm. doesn't contain four principles, keeping people on payroll, protecting public health, providing financial relief, and defending elections. And I'll just ask you, and this is a tough question, but if the bill doesn't contain those provisions, would you vote against it, even if it meant the bill would not survive? Well, that is a very challenging question. Um, and I think it would really, really depend on um, how much of those provisions and how how far we are able to get at achieving the goals that we set out, that, that our Democratic-controlled House sets out, um, how close we are getting to achieving all all four of the, those goals. Governing is a nuanced. It is a nuanced thing to do. I've you know in my in my time as a state legislator, um, I've been in the negotiating room. I feel like I've been able to stand up to powerful corporate interests like fossil fuel and win, like the chemical industry and win. Um, and there are times when you come to an agreement in that room um, where you're not necessarily getting, you know, 100%. But if you can get to 90%, if you can get to 80% sometimes, it depends on how important that is, then there, then that's when you sort of say, okay, you know, we can move this forward. So I can't actually tell you because I don't know what I would be voting on at this time. I will say that I do think that that uh, our members of Congress should hold firm and sh- and should be bolstered by our community to be able to hold firm, right? Like we need that, and that's what I bring. And and then that's what what Representative Jayapal brings too. That that knowledge of the advocacy organizations, like the Indivisibles, like all of the advocacy organizations, are pushing on progressive policy. We need to bring those voices into the mix and help shore up those uh, members who can stand uh, up against the corporate lobby and up against the senators who are going to be pushing back on all of this. They are pushing back every single day. Um, So I I think we should push back for as long as we possibly can. I think we've got a little bit of breathing room right now. There's a ton of, there's still a ton of money that hasn't been um, put into people's, you know, put into businesses. There's still money that needs to go out the door from previous packages. So we should be strong at the negotiating table and standing up to get as much as we possibly can. 
You tweeted recently that, quote, the pandemic has cracked the nation wide open and has shown real weaknesses in our safety net around health care and paid family and sick leave. I want to talk about health care. So in addition to having unemployment numbers that we have not seen since the Great Depression, we also now have an estimated six million new people who have no health insurance because it was tied to their employment. How do you see the role of expanding health care coverage as part of an economic recovery? Well, it's really clear that having your, I mean, we've, we've known it for a long time, but having your health care tied to your employer is a really bad idea. Now we're just seeing that, like I said, cracked wide open. And it is absolutely essential that we begin moving to a Medicare for all system as quickly as we possibly can. Um, we have got to take the profit out of health care. We have got to stop this in-network, out-of-network. The, the ability not to not to be able to negotiate with pharmaceutical companies on lowering drug prices in Medicare. Like, you know, it's, I'm not saying the Medicare system that we have right now is a Medicare system that we need to bring into the future. I think that we need an improved Medicare system where we are negotiating the, the power of the federal government with all of the folks that would, would be under a Medicare plan. And I think we need to phase it in, right? You, you start with bringing 55. Like, I would be eligible now to move into a Medicare system and sort of phase that in over time, um, making sure that as we're phasing that in, people have, you know, access to good health care plans that they already have, um, but as moving into that system over time. But the government has to ha- will have a lot of negotiating power with pharma. So that's one big piece of the puzzle, in my opinion. The other piece is this is a winning strategy, or not a strategy, it's a winning system for working people. Because when you're in the negotiating room and you're bargaining uh, as a union with your employer, you're spending a lot of time negotiating around who's paying what for health care. Where does that fall? And we want to take that off the table so that we can bargain for wages and better working conditions. Um, so, though, I mean, that, you know, we, I, I, I've been along been, you know, was really disappointed that we didn't move towards a public option in the last round of this. Um, very proud that Washington State passed a bill, and I was a, a, a voter and a strong supporter of us offering a public option. But honestly, it takes a federal government that is a partner in that. They have a lot of power in how our health care is, um, uh, works, you know, state by state. Um, and we just need a federal partner that is moving us towards a Medicare for all system. And and also, if we can't move that politically, we have got we have got to move towards being able to bargain with pharma. I mean, there's so many seniors that I've talked to, my constituents, people who are who live in the 10th district who pay way too much on drugs. Just you know, my my team reached out, and and there's someone who's paying $1,200 a month as a premium. Now, you know that is a typical that is a typical problem for American families. Their premiums are too high to afford. Then you go into you get something catastrophic happens. I have a friend who had to start a GoFundMe campaign because her husband uh, got laryngeal cancer and they didn't have the they weren't able to pay the pay the deductible, so they had to do a, a GoFundMe campaign. I mean it's just like that's not really okay. Yeah. It's a fundamental right. 
have health care in this country, every single person. And with all these people moving, you know, losing their health insurance as they lose their job, what kind of a country are we? That's not that's not okay. So I'm looking forward to standing up to the insurance companies in the pharma. It's not a, it's not a place where I've spent a lot of time in the legislature. Um, I've not been on the health care committee, but I am very much looking forward to uh, taking on those interests in uh, when I'm elected to Congress. You know, you touched on a phased transition. And one of the arguments that we hear against Medicare for All is that it would be so disruptive because so many people would be thrown off during a transition. But, you know, millions of people are off right now. And I, I'm wondering, does that change the political calculus for you? I certainly hope it does. I'm just, you know, it seems to me that it's really clear that we need to move to a different system. I mean, I, I think the political calculus, we should be, you know, you know, this is an opportunity to move those people onto some kind of a different system. Um, and, you know, I know that's part of the, the new act, the HEROES Act. So there's health care language in there um, and hoping that we can really hold firm on that and, and start to move in this direction. I want to talk next with you about climate because so much of your focus as an organizer, as a legislator, has been on climate. I should mention that in addition to everything that you have accomplished in Olympia, you were also the regional co-director for the Power Past Coal campaign, and you were the founding executive director of Washington Conservation Voters, so your bona fide speak for themselves. I'll ask you, what would your day one agenda on climate be as a congresswoman? Um. I really think that the first thing we need to do is move to 100% clean electricity. It is sort of the building block of how you actually, you know, physically get to a fossil-free future. So if we move towards, a, you know, if we move to a fossil-free electric sector, and then we are able to move our transportation onto that sector through electric you know, uh, electric vehicles and, um, then, you know, so that, that's sort of the fundamental building block, right? And it's all, it's, it's also for some states, you know, in Washington, we are, we are, you know, we are blessed with having a, a very significant carbon free energy source in our hydro. And of course there are problems with, with hydro as well, which we can address some of those too, I believe in this state while still moving to a fossil free future. So that that's my number one agenda. Um, and there are actions, you know, there are there are bills that would do that. I bring a lot of expertise having been in the room, having been part of that process, having actually introduced the 100% fossil free bill myself. Um, and, you know, making sure that as we make that transition, the jobs that come along with that, the jobs building our fossil free future are good paying jobs. Um, we built in labor standards into our 100% uh, clean electricity bill in this state. And I want to do the same thing at the federal level, making sure that if there are tax incentives to help, you know, spur um, clean energy, you know, clean energy projects, those come with some attachments that say, if you're going to do this job, you got to have good working standards. Um, and so we did a tiered system in Washington you, the, the better your labor standards are, the better your tax incentives are. The other piece that's super important is this issue. Climate change falls more harshly on communities of color, low-income communities, both in terms of public health 
but also in terms of if our utility bills go up, it falls more more uh, dramatically on, has a bigger impact on uh, low-income communities and communities of color. Right. And, you know, we have to address that head on. And so making sure that everybody is at the table, that those viewpoints and those people who advocate on those issues are at the table from the beginning so that we can, they, they, are, they are in the policy. Those issues are addressed in the policy. So I think that's really important, um, and, and that's where I would start. Now, I have been sort of the buildings person in the legislature. Um, I prime sponsored the Clean Buildings Bill, which sets a performance standard for existing commercial buildings. So it's basically a jobs bill, right? We're going in, we're doing energy audits on large commercial buildings, and we're saying you, you're by date certain you're going to have to meet an efficiency standard. And so that means a lot of people are going to be going into those buildings and retrofitting them to meet that standard. Um, and so, you know, that's another a space. And there's not a ton of activity, to my knowledge, having uh, talked with some advocates in uh, Washington, D.C. on climate issues. There's not a lot of work happening in that space, and I definitely want to be a leader there. I've also done by Clean by Fair, which is a, a, a labor environmental um, policy that helps to incent uh, building materials that happen to be also large greenhouse gas emitters like steel, concrete. It takes a lot of energy to produce those products. But there's a lot of things we can do to reduce the carbon emissions as we are manufacturing them, starting with actually producing those things right here in the United States. And then we eliminate the, the, the greenhouse gas emissions that come from transporting those overseas. So for bringing that from China into the United States, there's emissions getting it from China to the United States. So if we're incenting our public works projects and our, pri and our private buildings, we're doing a lot of work in this space in the Northwest to actually use products with a lower carbon intensity, then we're actually also encouraging our materials to be right here in, in, in the United States. And that's a win-win for American workers and for the environment. So those are the kinds of issues that I want to work on. I will also say there's a lot of grassroots work going on around a carbon tax or a carbon, you know, car, you know, I think, I, I think the leading, um, the, the sort of the leading and where the most work is going on right now is on a cap and dividend, um, where you would just be sort of institutionalizing, um, you know, a, a carbon tax that then comes right back to, uh, American families in the form of a dividend check. Um, you know, I'm in favor of any kind of a, any kind of a price on carbon that we can get, get through. I think it's an important thing. I do think that it is, you know, it is politically challenging. And so breaking yeah. up and, and, and attacking climate um, by sector worked really well in Washington. And we need to employ as many different strategies as we possibly can because we don't have any time left. You know, we've got yeah. a decade. We've got to turn this around. And we do have some opportunities coming out of this pandemic to make sure that the investments in the stimulus package is really moving us towards a green future. Absolutely. You know, I'd like to have you tie in a lot of what you just talked about in terms of jobs and fossil fuels in relation to something that is happening in the 10th district. So Puget Sound Energy is proceeding with a liquefied natural gas plant in Tacoma. 
you want to transition away from fossil fuels, and any transition is going to need to bring along workers. It's also going to need to factor in economic impact. And I'm wondering, how do you balance all of that? Well, when you're in a hole, which we are in a hole, you got to stop digging the hole deeper. And that's what any large fossil fuel facility does. It just puts in place, you know, 30 to 50 more years of a large fossil fuel, you know, and a large greenhouse gas emitting uh, facility in our districts or in our, you know, in our states, in our nation. And so I really, you know, obviously bunker fuel is a really, really bad, it's got a lot of air quality problems. It's not what we want to be using. We definitely need to be moving towards something much cleaner. I think that shore power is something that we need to really, you know, move forward very quickly. And there's going to be all kinds of jobs associated with making that transition to uh, electric shore power. And, and, and honestly, we still have some work to do in figuring out all that technology and how it's going to work. Um, and so we definitely need to be investing in research and development around that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of progress being made, and uh, we do need to move towards better air quality at our ports. Um, but I don't think that building, you know, something that puts us on um, puts us on the, you know, trajectory of 30 to 50 more years of fossil fuel and greenhouse gas emissions is the right direction to go. I would like to talk about jobs a little bit more broadly because we know, as I mentioned earlier, there's an unprecedented number of people who are jobless here in the U.S., including 1.45 million unemployed here in Washington. That is 38% of the workforce. I know that you have done a lot of work at the state level on behalf of workers. So beyond the green jobs that we've touched on, how do you take on the challenge of eventually getting everyone back to work at the federal level? Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's part of the, this, I didn't know I was running to help to do that, (laughs) but I think that that is something that, that, you know, the Congress in 2021 is, that is clearly going to be what we are going to spend a tremendous amount of our time doing. Um, And I really feel like we have an opportunity to have, you know, we've been talking about infrastructure in this, um, you know, in this country for a very long time, we have failing infrastructure across the country. And those are good paying jobs that we can put people to work just as we did, you know, many, many years ago with the New Deal. Um, And, you know, I I have been a very strong supporter of our public works, um, our public works trust fund. I've been the leading champion in the legislature around that. Um, and it's such an important part of, of, of our standard of living. I mean, sewers, they're not like super fun and sexy to talk about, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if we don't have them, we'll be talking a lot about them right. and water quality and, you know, all of those things, failing bridges, you know, I mean, we have a lot of infrastructure that needs to be fixed and we can do that. And at the same time, be building new infrastructure to getting us towards a fossil-free future. So I, I think it's I think that's where we need to head. I will be a very strong voice for that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we need to we need to rebuild um, the labor movement and have more people in unionized jobs. You know, I called my sister 
So she works in, she's a healthcare and home care provider in Oregon. And I said, and I, I asked her, I was asked on the questionnaire if any of my other family members were union members. And I thought, well, you know, we have unionized home care workers here in Washington. Maybe she is. And I called her and I said, are you, are you a, a unionite? You know, member of a union? She's like, no, but I sure wish I were because I'd be getting paid more and my working conditions would be, would be better. And that's, you know, that's the truth. And that's the importance of, of what, uh, of why we need a strong labor movement. There's strong labor movement here in Washington. That's why we have mandatory paid sick days. That's why we have the highest minimum wage because our labor movement put something on the ballot, collected the signatures, and 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 it easily passed. Right. So we already had that in Washington State. And oh, by the way, our economy was one of the strongest economies, if not the strongest economy before COVID. Right. So how do you expand that at the at the federal level? Well, we well first of all, we need to connect a higher minimum wage at the federal level. Like, come on, it hasn't been raised in a decade. Some states are still paying minimum wage employees seven twenty five an hour. You can't get by on that. You cannot get by on that. That's why we have so many people living paycheck to paycheck, and why we have so many people working two or three jobs just to put food on their family's table. That is unacceptable. We need to absolutely raise the minimum wage. You know, you know the six hundred dollar additional pay from the federal government. You know, people are actually making a living wage. Some of them are, you know, they are making a little bit more. I have a friend in particular who is making a little bit more, and she should be being paid that on a regular basis anyway. You know, and so I do feel like there is there is hopefully an awakening in not that they weren't awake already, but maybe political awakening to say. We're not going to stand for this anymore. We want higher wages. And so I think that's, that's a, again, an opportunity that we have coming out of this. I would just ask you one final question. The 10th CD is considered a safe Democratic seat. Uh, Cooks ranks it a D plus five. So it is safe but not solid. Do you worry that your stances and platforms are maybe too progressive for the district? I don't. Uh, no. I, I mean, f- for one thing, I think that... Um, I am a I am a progressive. I've been a you know I can't. There's no I'm, there's no hiding that path. <laughs> um, and uh, I've been a progressive in the state legislature. Um, but I am a progressive who works across the aisle and across my caucus and listens and brings in other people's opinions and values other people's opinions in the policy making arena. Um, and that you will see if you look, and I I would encourage people to look at my legislative record. I have a number of bills that have been bipartisan bills. Um, I have been able to move fairly, you know, very significant progressive legislation by working across my caucus and spending a lot of time building relationships, understanding different people's perspectives and what they bring into the policymaking arena to help move a bill and bills that are progressive and yet get to the governor's desk at the same time. Um, so I, I, I feel like you're going to see, and you'll see in my endorsements, I'm not just endorsed by progressive people. I have 120 elected officials who have endorsed me from you know the whole spectrum um, uh, uh, of Democrats. Um, so I, I think that 
that I will be able to to tell that story and to to have people understand that while you know I may be potentially a little bit more progressive than them as a voter, I'm also a person who listens and gets things done and works across the aisle and works across the caucus. It's my understanding that you do not accept corporate contributions. So how are you funding your campaign? I am asking everyone I know to give me money. <laughs> and it is all just <laughs> just to be very honest. Um, that's, the, that's the system. And honestly, we need HR1. We need to get dark money out of politics. We need to get corporate money out of politics. There's corporate... There's so much corporate power already uh, in Congress and, in, you know, it, 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 there's too much. Like, we need to get away from that. Yes, I'm not uh, uh, accepting corporate tax donations. Um, I'm not accepting fossil fuel money. And I am asking individuals um, to and, – and labor PACs. I, you know, I am accepting some PAC donations from progressive organizations like uh, unions and gun responsibility tax and those sorts of things. Um, so that's that's what I'm doing. I'm asking people to pitch in five, ten, fifteen dollars or more if you can. And where can people go to learn more about your campaign? Bastolio, and that's d o g l i o dot com, uh, is my website. And I definitely invite you to check out my website and. Um, and consider, you know, consider getting involved. That's the other thing. This is a people-powered effort. We um, have regular outreach to voters, um, and there's all kinds of ways to get involved, despite the fact that we can't actually come to campaign yeah. headquarters and do it all together. There's things you can do right from your uh, desk at home or your couch at home. Well, Beth Dolia, thank you so much. You bet. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about these really important issues. And that is it for today's show. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org, and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell, and as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.